Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. Welcome to episode eight of the Launchpad. On behalf of myself, your host, Grace Salmon, and the author marketing coach, Mary Helen Sheriff, we're so excited that you're with us today. If you are watching us live, please feel free to make comments, ask questions. This will be aired on Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, later this month. But meanwhile, we're so happy to be here. And I would like to just welcome my guests, the fabulous Carrie Shaput. Please hold up your book and say hello. Hello, everyone. Heidi Hackford with her book, Folly Park. Hello. <laughs> I should have said Carrie's book is called Daughter of Shadows. And Ember Hints, The Ash Gardeners, Hi. Fabulous Color. And Sheila Myers with your book, The Truth of Who We Are. Welcome to each and every one of you and to all of our viewers. This is an episode that is going to be filled with award-winning authors as they share their new releases. We've got historical fiction, double lives, romance, gothic fiction, unexpected twists and turns, a journey back in time. We will meet murderous, disembodied spirits and dive into a world of research. Hopefully you'll fall in love with a new author today and you will also find a great new book. So welcome everybody and welcome to all of our authors again today. <laughs> Carrie, I would like to start with you. Tell us about Daughter of the Shadows, Daughter of Shadows. Yeah, so I um, write a historical fiction series. It's called um, Defying the Crown. And the, this is actually the, the first book in the series is, is Daughter of the King, and um, this, which is already released. And the second book, which is Daughter of the Shadows, um, is in pre-order. It will be out in March. And so it is the story of Isabel, who is a Protestant living in 17th century France, which was run by Catholics at the time. And so the persecution of of the um, Huguenots, as they were called, the French Protestants, was really a horrific um, tale. And so my uh, character is a young woman who's just trying to survive, and she gets this incredible opportunity by the King of France, this is based off of a true story, that he um, he needed women to populate Canada, and so which was New France at the time, and they didn't have any women over there, and so he offered this opportunity to really poor um, women throughout France. And he said, if you go ahead and go populate this region. We're going to give you a dowry, a trousseau. I will pay your passage. You will get an honorary title called Daughter of the King. Um, you will get the makings of a farm. You can choose your own husband. So they had this like 17th century speed dating going on. And the women interviewed the men and they chose their husbands and they started this whole new life and they got paid for each baby they had. It was pretty wild story. So that was the first book was Daughter of the King. In Daughter of the Shadows, now Isabel is a little bit older and she has the opportunity to save more Protestants in France, but she has to spy against her husband in order to trade secrets. So that's a whole part of Canadian history I knew yes. nothing about. So this is going to be a great read for us. You also have elements of witchcraft, don't you? Yes. So in researching for book two, um, you know, you go down the rabbit hole and you learn all these things. So I was reading about 17th century Paris and just going, wait, what? There was the affair of the poisons at Versailles. There was witchcraft and involved in the court, like the king's court had um, his mistress was involved in black magic and 
um, poisons. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I got to put this in the book. And so um, Isabel ends up, part of the book is set in Canada and part is set in Paris. And she's got to, it's called Daughter of the Shadows because she has to kind of jump around in the shadows at night and kind of carry these secrets and save Protestants. Well, I love to make connections between various authors. And Jay Amber, Amber hints in your novel, The Ash Gardeners, you have an amazing world that you've built and some things that touch on witchcraft and the supernatural. Tell us about your book. Yeah, definitely. Um, there is a witch in my book. Um, she uh, starts in chapter one and she um, is a side character, but she sets off kind of a prophecy that um, uh, sends things in motion. It's the inciting incident involves the witch. Um, but so here's my lovely book with the cover. Um, I write um, romance with supernatural and speculative elements. So there's a lot of world building and a lot of really interesting characters in my world. Um, it revolves around a woman, Renee Martin, whose life ends too soon and her life choices were never her own. Um, she's recruited by the dead to come back and steal memories from the living, but she's really incredibly awful at her job. So she ends up accidentally killing a human and she tries to cover it up by resurrecting him and bringing him back to life. But it creates this psychic bond between them. Um, but now she's stuck inside his head and desperate to get away from him. But there's a lot more to him than meets the eye. Um, she has a lot of forbidden knowledge that she's hiding, but there are some things in his past that he's hiding as well. And um, lots of interesting antics ensue. There's a price on his head. And um, she, once he starts to dig into the truth and find out more about her, it um, puts in motion um, uh, events that will threaten the balance between the living and the dead. And she'll need to decide, she'll need to choose sides, whether um, she's going to be loyal to the clandestine organization that owns her and gave her her life back, or if she's going to side with the man who wants to teach her what it means to be alive. So I've had men stuck inside my head. From <laughs> <laughs> yes, borders on a Haven't we all? Yes. <laughs> so a lot of secrets there. And I love that um, in Sheila's book and also in Carrie's book, there are secrets. And so Sheila, let's talk about your book for a minute. Yeah. So uh, The Truth of Who You Are is set in um, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park um, at a pivotal time in our country. It was uh, during the Great Depression. And in that region of the country, oh. the people actually lived in the park at that time and prospered and had farms. And there was a lot of um, uh, timber interests, a lot of lumbering going on. Uh, and the, um, the advocates for the park um, pushed for the idea of buying out these people and pushing them off their properties so that the, it could be a national park. So I was interested in that time period for that reason. And the main character lives there with his family and uh, a tragic accident happens to his father. He goes on to work in the park while it's being established with the Civilian Conservation Corps, which was a program of FDR um, mm -hmm. during the Great Depression. And while there, he causes an accident um, and he has to make a choice of whether to let somebody else take the fall so he can keep his job and keep his family in with food and you know alive <laughs> so 
that's kind of the crux of the story, but uh, it follows all the way to um, the Battle of the Bulge in World War II, where he meets up with his friend at, um, that he worked with at the Conservation Corps. And I've been to that park and it's just absolutely beautiful, but I love that there was also that backstory that people lost their lands to create it at the same time. So yeah. just a beautiful uh, part of this country though. Carrie, um, we've talked about that. Let's, let's go to Heidi for Folly Park. Okay, here's Folly Park. <laughs> um, my book is about a young woman who discovers how much she's willing to lose to tell the truth. So Temple Preston is the heroine and she lives in a small town in Virginia. She's acting as the curator of her family's historic plantation home that was once owned by a Confederate general. And the house is falling apart and there's not get, they're not getting a lot of visitors and the trustees are considering selling out to developers. So Temple's trying to think about how to save the place while she's also struggling with um, the shame that she feels over her family's slaveholding past. So enter V, who's a black research assistant who comes from um, for the summer as an intern. And V believes that she has evidence that the general's wife gave birth to a biracial baby while he was off fighting in the Civil War. So when Temple's recovered a little bit, <laughs> the two of them kind of become friends and they join together to do more research and uncover some more ugly secrets from the past. And that sparks some controversy in Temple's family and also a backlash in her hometown. And she ultimately has to decide whether she feels like Folly Park is even worth saving. So uh, we've got historical themes and you mentioned right away, Heidi, research and someone else just mentioned going down that rabbit hole. So I'd like to hear from each of you on what kind of research you do and how do you not spend your whole day in that rabbit hole and actually create these great works of fiction? Um, Heidi, let's start with you. Sure. Um, so I actually have a PhD in American history and I've, I've worked at a number of historic sites. Um, so for me, research is work and <laughs> work is research. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I had to do so much reading um, for the 19th century for my dissertation. So I really felt like I already had a lot of um, sort of sources that I had been looking at. I've read a lot of Civil War diaries. I'm trying to get that sort of, there is a journal that they discover in the book. So there's lots of excerpts from that. So trying to get that voice right was the most interesting thing for me. You know, the language is just different. I don't know if any of you, you know, read 19th century British novels or anything, but it's a, it's a little bit different. So that was really fun. I had to um, sort of, ex I also went to a lot of historic homes um, in addition to Monticello to kind of see how a house museum works. Um, and one thing they don't teach you when you're getting a PhD is, you know, you're really kind of learning more about how historians have done research in the past rather than what people ate and how they actually went about their daily lives. So house museums are really critical for me to kind of um, understand what it would be like to actually live and work there. So, and, and that was a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of boots on the ground. Absolutely. Who wants who wants to talk about research and what they do? Now, I just want to I want to say one thing to Heidi. I, I just um, I'm working on a book that's set at uh, like this family basically inherits a house. Their father turns into a museum. I always thought that was an interesting concept for a book. OK, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Owning a house where it's a museum. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so, Sheila, as long as we're with you, what kind of research did you have to do for your novel? Well, I was kind of lucky that, you know, if you've ever visited um, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, there is a cultural heritage site where they've maintained some of the homes. Mm -hmm. So some of the homesteads, the chicken coops, the barns are there. Somebody had the foresight to, you know, um, keep them intact. 
the people aren't there, but the homes are. And they have really good little local museums in the region besides the actual National Park Bookstore mm-hmm. where they have oral histories of from the people that lived in the park because um, it, it would have been in the 1930s when they were basically kicked out. So I was able to get a lot of um, good primary sources for my book um, readily available, which was nice. Uh, and you know, the National Park Service as well has some great resources from the Conservation Corps work, um, the men that were working pictures, all kinds of um, digital stuff that's digitized now that you can just go online and find. So I was kind of lucky that way. I've done historical um, research for my other novels set in the Adirondacks, and I had to travel a lot to find material. So it was nice in this case that it was right there. A handy resource. Now, Carrie, part of your um, book is uh, in Quebec and some other places. How did you have to do the research for that, let alone the whole women got paid to be reproductive homes? Okay, so it was not easy. I second what Heidi said, that um, you can find the big picture items pretty easily, but then you look at, like, how did they make shoes in the 17th century? And then you go down that whole thing. So um, for me, I was kind of lucky in the sense that I discovered this story when I was researching my husband's French Canadian ancestry, his entire family, both sides, hundred percent French Canadian. And all I wanted to do was find out where in France they came from. And I ended up finding the story of the daughters of the King. And it turns out that my husband is descended from about, I found 33 daughters of the King that he came from potentially more, but that's kind of, I got a little overwhelmed when I stopped at 33. Um, so I, they had, the records were incredible. I mean, you don't think you can find too many primary sources from the 17th century, but they still have marriage documents that you can look online and translate from old French you know, to wow. English. And so I was able to find tons of information on these women, the date they arrived in Quebec, the, um, the name of their parents and the town they came from in the early 1600s is really incredible. And the thing that was neat is because everything was done through the Catholic Church at that time, the records are impeccable. You know, when some of the birth records, the um, baptism records, the death records, everything was through that church for 300 years. Mostly people lived in the same area. So I was kind of lucky with that research. That's amazing. Now, Jamber, you have a totally different type of research. I also want to welcome some of our Facebook viewers. Mary Helen Sheriff says, each of these books sounds fantastic. How will she have time to read them all? And I, and I agree. So Jamber, let's go to you. You created a whole world. I'd love to hear both your research part of it, and then let's switch into um, world building as we go. Yeah, so there um, is quite a lot of research, even though I'm writing more in a contemporary setting. Um, I did a little bit of historical research because my character had a past life. And so mm-hmm. I actually set that. I wanted it to feel very real. So I set it in a um, her past life is a part of her backstory, but it does come up toward the end of the book. Um, so there was some historical research that I had to do in France, actually, as well. Um, but it was... Um, there's a museum in France and they have all of their records online and I was able to tap into that historical event and they had first person accounts and survivors and things. So, um, so I did a little bit of historical research for it. Um, the book, um, my world is based on, um, uh, uh, ancient Sumerian mythology and their concept of watchers, which are the souls that come back to watch over humanity. So I did a lot of research in ancient Sumerian, uh, ancient Sumerian um, mythology and put my own twist on it as well. Um, the setting of the book is set in Hawaii, um, where she's 
sent on location to be kind of a sleeper agent, um, but I did a lot of research. Um, when I visited Hawaii, I have lots of family and friends. I live in a very military town and we have lots of family and friends who live in Hawaii. So I've been very fortunate to be able to visit there um, and to do a lot of kind of boots on the ground research as well. Um, the second book um, is set in um, upstate New York um, and Montreal as well. And I'm from upstate New York in the Adirondacks. And so um, I have experience with that. And then I did a lot of research when I visited Montreal. And um, the biggest amount of research that I did with this book had to do more with some of the um, um, personal struggles that the characters are going through. The main character suffers from um, post-traumatic um, stress disorder from her past life. Um, and the other main character, um, and I write in dual POV, so the male main character is also a recovering addict and alcoholic. And I don't have a personal experience with that, and I wanted to make sure that I got that representation correct um, for the struggles that someone in post-recovery still goes through on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I have some really dear friends who um, do have lived experience with that, and they have been very generous in um, sharing their stories with me. And they even invited me to come to their AA and NA meetings with them and to participate and ask questions. Um, and everyone was absolutely lovely and open about sharing kind of what that life is like. Um, and then um, as well as not only trying to stay sober, but what happens when they're not able to stay sober. So I had a lot of um, uh, firsthand um, interviews that I did with folks to be able to try to get that point of view correct. So there was a lot of research that went into that um, just because I want to um, represent those um, issues in the most realistic manner that I can. That so that was probably the crux of the research that I did. That sounds um, very sensitive to, you know, both do those firsthand accounts, etc. Um, yeah. Sheila, in terms of your world building, you had World War II. You you did talk about the benefits of having, you know, other resources to you. But how do you build a world? Several of you write with a historical bent. How do you make that real and yours as opposed to, you know, I just wrote, I watched Turner Classic Movies and I noticed that. Yeah. Well, I'm the type of um, author that needs to be, to visit a place and feel everything. I'm very sensory. And I think my writing is like that too. I just reflect the environment I'm in. Uh, <clears throat> and I've also tried to, uh, in my books, um, showcase that environment because I, I, you know, I teach ecology. So that's, that's more important to me sometimes than the historical facts. <laughs> I want the people to feel like they're right there in the, the place. And, um, and that's, that's the focus, a lot of the focus of my writing is, the, you know, the senses and the feeling that you're right there and seeing it and, and hearing it and whether it's a bird singing or the leaves rough rustling. Um, and that I, I focus a lot on that in my writing. It's very tangible. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's just something I enjoy doing. So, yeah. So Heidi, you like putting twists and turns in your writing. Talk about that, please. 
um, I think, you know, when I, when I found out what a folly was, I don't know if other people know, it's it, in the 17th and 18th centuries, wealthy people would build these sort of symbolic little creations in their gardens. Um, so they might be little miniature bridges or castles or things like that. And they were supposed to be this sort of whimsical. And, um, and, and I liked the sort of irony of having these sort of whimsical creations on a plantation where probably slaves built them. And the idea of folly is being a mistake. And I kind of, I don't know. So I, th that sort of started me down this path of sort of things aren't what they seem. You know, you have a folly that's, it looks like a castle, but it's tiny and it's built by a slave on a plantation. And that sort of, you know, just doesn't really fit and it's grating in a way. And so I do a lot of that throughout the book, I think, um, just trying to show that you, not to take things at face value, you know, that that there's always something underneath that you can't understand. And, and as a historian, that's what I feel like we always sort of apply our own perspectives and interpretations on her history, even though we can't really know what actually really happened. And sort of history is just the stories we tell ourselves. And some people's stories are not the same as others. And so it's just a, a, a way of questioning everything, I guess, is kind of what I wanted to to kind of send the message through the book, particularly about history, because people become, they so identify with the past in ways that can be damaging to other people without really understanding that. And so I wanted to kind of promote those, those ideas. Thank you. And Carrie, you really talk a lot about, you know, historical fiction, but you also write in multiple genres. You've written in young adult. You've let's, let's talk a little bit now about genre and um, Carrie, start us out there. Well, I, everything I've written has been historical, just different facets of it. Um, and I always feel like we don't pick a genre, it picks us. Because when you just start, you write what feels right to you. And then over the course of your writing career, you kind of naturally fall into kind of what feels right. My critique group, um, we all started off in different areas and sort of navigated over different books to where we ended up now. And I've always written in that women's fiction YA crossover space of historical um, where I could kind of go either way. And so some books just fall in the adult category and some fall in YA. And it kind of just, a, I really go with the voice of the story, whatever feels right to me. And um, I think you find it by trying not to find it by just writing what feels natural to you and what calls to you. And your voice comes up a little more naturally in that. And then genre is just, it really, it's just a marketing thing of where does your book fall on a shelf, right? So if you get too caught up in what the, what genre is to you, um, you have to be aware of what the conventions are for what you're writing in, what the tropes are, what we were talking about earlier, you know, all of that stuff. You have to be aware of it, but you can't let that dictate what stories you write, in my opinion. Yeah, so Carrie you, and I have had a couple of discussions yeah. about YA because I'm writing a book now and the protagonist is about 17 and I haven't figured out, I don't know where it's going. Like, I don't know if this is going to be a YA story or not. And I can't quite figure out what makes something YA. I mean, I've mine, was, mine was finished and I was asking people, where do I put this? And I know, people, you know, it's just hard. It's just hard. to Yeah. Find it's almost like I need somebody else to tell me, just tell yeah. me what this is. Okay. I'm just going to write it. And then you tell me what it is. Yeah. I know that's, I had to do the same thing. And I thought I finished my novel. I got, I published and launched my novel. It's been out and it wasn't until, you know, a couple of months post, you know, release date that I realized that I'm not in the genre that I thought I was. I thought I was <laughs> writing science fiction romance because there's so many speculative elements in my book. And I realized it's more romantic paranormal suspense. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think there is a 
danger in not knowing before you start writing what you're writing, because it's really hard to market a book, which I found out the hard way, um, that that saddles so many different genres with science fiction and romance and paranormal romance and supernatural romance and suspense. It's, you know, when you're marketing, you kind of have to find your niche and your groove where your readers are. So I, as I'm revising books two and three, which come out in 2023, I kind of had to think about that as I'm, I pre-wrote my blurbs and um, who my audience is. And I found out that my audience, um, the people who respond to my book and who want to read my book are paranormal romance readers, even though it has fantasy elements and um, sci-fi elements and all those other things, the folks who love that stuff also are looking for paranormal romance books. So I kind of learned that, learned that lesson after publishing book one that I'll take with me into books two and three um, next year. And that really backs up what Carrie was talking about. Does it matter if we label it because it's just a marketing thing, but it's also a critical marketing element to really understand. And I'll be very candid. I did not know that paranormal sci-fi romance was even a (laughs) genre. I was like, seriously? I was I was in a discussion the other day about the entire discussion on genres. And I think it's really fascinating. Heidi, you haven't weighed in on this topic yet. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I'm just what all the rest of you have been saying, particularly Carrie, I, you know, mine is sort of historical fiction, sort of women's history, and definitely regional, which I didn't even kind of really think about regional when I was writing it. Um, but, you know, it, it reads sort of as a dual timeline because of this journal that they discover, but it takes place in the present and the action is in the present. So some people don't consider that historical fiction. But I think if you don't like history, you're not probably going to like this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's hard. I mean, I, I think it's exciting to have cross genres and I find that really interesting. So I hope other people do, too. But we everything gets so slotted when you're marketing. It's sort of frustrating. And it's very confusing, right? We have many of us would have even a year ago said we write women's fiction. And now we see that women's fiction has just been kicked to the curb as a genre. So um, yeah, what happened? I saw some post about that, but I didn't follow through. I don't know. Okay. They'll probably change their mind tomorrow. Oh, okay. All right. Then I will go into, I don't know. <laughs> so, it, was, it was, it's a fascinating debate uh, genre. Interesting uh, about that is this, so this protagonist is male and a lot of the historical fiction coming out is female. I mean, it's mostly women's history that's popular. And I did um, pitch to some um, uh, women's fiction um you know, uh, podcasts and they're like, yeah, we need protagonists that are female. And I, I often have wondered, like, has it hindered me to have a male protagonist? I don't know, <laughs> but it's, it, it's kind of hard because it's history. You know, I wanted to write about the conservation Corps, and they were recruiting men, not women really. So. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's the story. I love that in uh, Jay Amber's book, she uh, writes about women. She has a tagline and there are lots of different women, but there are no damsels in distress. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of challenges, but um, I always, no matter what I write, um, I've written some like short story, Gothic horror as well. It always features um, women who at the beginning um, are a little bit lost. And by the end of the book, they're starting to kind of find their person, their place of personal power and starting to exercise it. And which is what happens in the Ash Gardeners. Um, but really Renee's my main character. Her, her story arc is three books long, um, as is the story arc for the male main, the male main character as well. Book two is really kind of his book. Um, and I introduce a third POV in book two, which I'm 
little nervous and excited about, but I'm introducing the villains POV as well, who is another uh, woman who has her own story arc through the next two books as well. So, so it's, it's very interesting. So several of you write in series. Talk about that just briefly, because believe it or not, we're almost out of time. So talk <laughs> briefly about writing in series and then tell us what's next. Uh, Carrie, let's start with you. Well, I didn't intend necessarily to write a series, but I feel like the book guides you either that way or not. I had a friend ask me this, like, how do you, should I write another one? And I'm like, I feel like you kind of know when you finish the first one, if there's more story or not, you kind of decide then. And I just knew that I needed three books to tell this huge story of the Protestant struggle and, you know, all of that. So I think it just, you feel it, whether you have more to tell or not, and you feel it when you've sort of tied that story up enough. So, um, so I just started writing book three. Um, so I'll have that out hopefully 2024. Wonderful. Heidi. I do not have a series and I admire those of you who are, are tackling those huge projects. <laughs> um, you know, I do have another idea, which is uh, historically related. And it's, it's sort of about taking the Pride and Prejudice women and putting them in an old West town with a woman's shortage and sort of flipping. Nice. The, flipping the... <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I'm taking a little break, but then I'm going to tackle that one. <laughs> Wonderful. Sheila. Yeah, I, this book isn't going to be a series, but I have written a historical fiction series of three books, a trilogy about the Durant family and Adirondacks. And that was all based on my own primary research. And I just had so much material to work with. I had to break it into three books. So that's why I did it. Well, and we're glad that you did. And Jay Ember, you've talked about that. What's next for you? you your books are coming out when? So I have... Um... The timeline for book two is July-ish, hopefully, if we get through uh, both my editor schedules. So July for book two and October for book three. And then I've started plotting another four book um, series with um, completely different characters, but set kind of in the same world. Um, they'll have two books um, that'll come out in 2024 and two in 2025. So lots of lots of words to get on the page. Lots so, of but, words and fabulous yes. words from each of you. I'm so glad you spent time with me here today and with our audience on the launch pad. I want each of you to hold up your book and Carrie, daughter Thanks of Shadows, uh, Heidi Hackford, Folly Park, Jessica Ember Hintz, The Ash Gardeners, and Sheila Myers, The Truth of Who We Are. On behalf of Bookish Road Trip, Mary Helen Sheriff and myself, thank you for being with us. Have a great day and find your next great book. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thanks. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad. <laughs>